Hello, listeners. Thank you for being here today. You are in for a treat with Spring Washam, a woman that you're about to meet. And I hope that you leave this hour being as blown away as I am. I came into the interview with a little bit of a wounded heart from a difficulty that I had today. And then after getting to know Spring and how she's operating in the world, I just have a whole renewed sense of purpose that these small things that bother us, we won't remember them in one year, three year, five year, like just wipe those things clean from your mind. There's no time to waste worrying about small things that really are not going to matter. We start off talking about the difficulties that she had growing up and basically how she came across Autobiography of a Yogi and Man's Eternal Quest for Meaning, these books that just kind of changed the trajectory of her life, leading her to long, long periods of meditation in retreats and in her own personal practice, and eventually to plant medicine, specifically to Peru, to ayahuasca, which allowed her to see that the stories she was telling herself were causing her suffering, and that she could let go of those stories at any time. And I'll say that again, the stories that we tell ourselves are leading to our suffering, and we can let go of those stories anytime. And the beauty of letting go of those stories that are holding us back is that we get to move into our fullest potential as a human being, and even as a bodhisattva, maybe someone who has come to make a difference in this world and to help others realize their fullest potential. So we move from ayahuasca to a book that Spring has written about a deep conversation she had over many years with Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman, some of you will remember, was a woman who during times of slavery and abolition basically helped to run the Underground Railroad to help free people from slavery. So Spring, at some point got a really, really deep connection and had a very deep conversation with Harriet. Even though Harriet has been dead for many years, there was a deep connection and this book emerged out of that. And I think it's a fascinating interview. In my mind, there are explanations for how these things happen, which I won't go into and bore you, but I will say that when we connect to a deity or an ancestor like Harriet Tubman, I don't know if it matters whether they are real and they're connecting through us or whether we are connecting back to them. It doesn't matter. The thing is, their force, what they brought to this world, we are able to tap into and we are able to bring it forward and finish the job, as Spring Washam says, finish the jobs that they started. That's why we're here. We are here to finish the jobs that our ancestors started and that the people after us will continue on with. So it is a beautiful interview. I hope you enjoy it. Sit back with a cup of tea, go for a walk. There's a lot of really deep thoughts here, and I hope you love what Spring is bringing to the world as much as I do. 
Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour and Beyond. This is our way of spreading inner peace, joy, understanding, compassion, kindness, and comfort, not only to yourself, but to the world. We at the Yoga Therapy Hour and Beyond are so happy to have you listening. Now let's get started and get right into our guest today. It's my pleasure and honor to welcome you, Spring. Thank you for being here today. So happy to join you. Spring, I believe you live in Oakland, California. Is that right? Well, I was up until a couple of months ago. I just relocated to Atlanta, Georgia. Wonderful. (laughs) Just a whole world away from Oakland, California. Yes, it is. Both are wonderful places. So spring, we decided that we're going to wander and wonder together today. And I loosely am very interested in your ancestors and your connection to your ancestors. But before we go there, I had read on your website that you grew up in a pretty difficult situation. And there was one point where you read the book, an autobiography of a yogi. So can you just tell us about that? Yeah, I think that book, like so many other people that I meet around the world, that book is so inspiring. And it really was one of my first spiritual books. And it got me on the path of meditation. I think I read that one and another one by Paramahasa Yogananda, Man's Eternal Quest, which was all about meditation. And that's really what got me on the spiritual path. Prior to that, I'd been involved in, I guess you could say, completely in the self-help movement. As a teenager, I was studying psychology, mostly because I had such a difficult upbringing. And with that came depression and trauma. And in those days, I was really so drawn to living a spiritual life. There wasn't a lot out like there is now. You know, back then it was like some tapes I remember listening to. And it really inspired me. And then when I started with the Hindu practices and Paramahasa Yogananda, I really got into meditation, which I could say changed the course of my life in many ways. And what is it about the path of meditation that has been so healing for you? Well, you know, I wrote my first book, A Fierce Heart. I was writing about being younger and looking at all of the difficulties around me and the suffering and the adults and addiction and trauma. I remember always having this thought. I had the thought we have a thinking problem. You know, something is wrong with our minds. Like, why are people so emotional? Why are they screaming? Why is this happening? And so as I got older and I started studying more of, you know, the power of thought and the new thought movement and getting involved with all that, I realized that if I could just slow down and be in the present, I recognized that I would have more power, right? I could not be so lost in my thoughts. So when I started meditating, that became a relief, these periods where I would just be resting without being so caught in my stories and my painful thoughts. And for me, that was everything. It was like, wow, I can live if I have some control over here. So meditation just became a a really powerful technique to get unstuck, untangled and not lost in all these painful stories. 
So I want to go there because I think many people, maybe even our listeners don't have that thought that this is a story for them. This is my life. This is painful. There's no way to get out. What do you mean? That's a story. Can you unpack? Well, yeah, completely. I mean, I think a lot of people are like that, right? We just live in our minds and a lot of the thoughts that are running through our mind, you know, our beliefs and our ideas are often really painful. They're usually filled with anger and resentment and greed and fear. And they might not even have anything to do with the conditions of our lives. We might be living in a million dollar house safe and having terrifying thoughts every moment. So I think that this is important to start to recognize that a big part of our suffering is this identification And this deep grasping to every thought we think and believing it, right? So if I have a thought, I'm a terrible person and I'm suffering, right? I wake up, I have a good thought. I'm like, yay, I have a bad thought. I'm like, I'm tethered to these thoughts. And I think the real path is when you create a gap where you can have some space and start to question, wait, this isn't even happening. Why am I thinking this again? This is not what's going on. I'm not in the third grade. I'm not, you know, we start to recognize how much we live in the past. We live in the future and we just live in a lot of made up scenarios. And those are what I call stories, just these long trains of thoughts that don't make sense and aren't helpful. They just really create a lot of anxiety and pain and suffering And the path of meditation is waking up from that and seeing what's real and what's not real. And is that different from if there's something causing you suffering for real in this moment, right here, right now, like a real event? Would you say there's even stories affiliated with that present moment suffering? Yeah, I think that there's a difference between something that we need to, you know, attend to, right? There's something that is making us unhappy or there's something going on or we need to, you know, do an action around. We need to change something. We need to let something go. Yeah, there's the thoughts around that. But I think 90% of the thoughts that most people think every day are just the same thoughts that they thought the day before. And science can show us that. And they're not helpful. They actually are not solving problems. And they're actually going against taking us in the opposite direction of where we actually want to go. Because I think one of the things that happens on the spiritual path or on any path of awareness is you start to realize how powerful it is when we're sort of hooked into these belief systems. You know, if we have a problem in our life, yes, let's solve it but endless sort of doom and gloom or this repetitive thought about it or getting into like heavy negativity, that won't solve it. Actually, it's the opposite. It's kind of letting go, opening up, creating space. When we start to practice meditation, we start to lose our fixation on these thoughts and beliefs and stories. We start to lose identification, I like to say. So I think that brings me to something on your website that I was so fascinated about. And that is that, I don't know if you're part of a documentary called Fostering Ancestral Healing. Yeah, well, I'm right now in the process of creating a documentary. 
about connecting to the ancestors, connecting to the unseen world, right? Family trees, healing, family lineages, and more understanding about that. For the YouTube version, I'm going to pull up Spring's website. So it says, documenting the healing process of ayahuasca among a community of BIPOC visionaries, leaders, and healers. I just want to know more about that. (laughs) Yeah. So loosely, the documentary is called Rising of a New Sun. And I filmed like a year and a half ago, a retreat that I was leading in Peru. My work has involved different healing modalities. So I have been working with plant medicine in addition to all my other writing and teaching and healing work for many years. And so it started with an incredible group of visionary folks that came down to the jungle in Peru and joined me for a two-week retreat. I brought in a film crew and we documented that. And out of that group of people, five of us have stayed in touch and have gone on to do incredible work. And that's one of the reasons I'm in Atlanta. And we're just kind of documenting our journey to working with the ancestors, to healing ourselves, our family trees, and then becoming people who want to contribute to making the world more wonderful. You've said so many things of interest. This may seem like a normal conversation to you. (laughs) For me, this is like a little mind blowing. Like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's unpack it for our listeners. Sure. When you say using plant medicine to help, you didn't say these words, but this is what I interpreted and please correct me to help like heal the wounds of probably ourselves and our ancestors. Correct. Yeah. So when I was, I think this was 2007, I had a kind of a breakdown while I was on a meditation retreat, a three month, very intense retreat. And I guess there wasn't really a breakdown. It was a break open experience where all this unresolved trauma was. So I thought I had dealt with it. You know, that story, we were like, I haven't healed this already. And then it's like, oh my gosh, this comes up again. Right. But it came up in such a big way that I was so overwhelmed by it. And when I left the retreat center and came back to my home in California, I met a friend of mine who was an amazing psychologist. And she said, well, it sounds like you're really dealing with some deep trauma, maybe you want to work with this plant from the Amazon. And I was like, what? You know, but at that point, when you're desperate, you'll try everything, right? You're like, I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping, my body was shaking, I couldn't figure out how to ground. We know now that those are trauma responses. We didn't know as much in 2007 as we know now. We're so much more trauma informed. So I was introduced to this plant. I was went with a group of psychologists up to the mountains in California. And I heard that it was like this drink and you drink it and it can help you. And it's good. So I was like, okay. So I remember I went and I just had the most profound experience of healing, of understanding, working with my trauma. And at that point, I started taking trips to South America. So from then on, I began to spend one month to two months in the Amazon working with indigenous healers and working through my trauma with healing with plants, plant medicine, one of them, ayahuasca, 
other plants too that weren't psychoactive, but ayahuasca is a powerful, I guess, spirit doctor, call her grandmother. That led to me really getting on a path of combining my work. So teaching meditation, writing, working with plant medicine. And initially I just was doing it for myself for many years, just going all the time to the jungle every year and feeling so much better. Every time I would return, I felt like I was working through deep ancestral wounds and trauma. Like so many people, there was so much suffering in my family, suicide and abuse and abandonment and all kinds of things. And, you know, with my parents and my grandparents and my great, great grandparents. And as I started healing these things, I just began to feel so much better. You know, I saw that it was connected not only to this moment in time, but you know how we say we often carry stuff from our DNA. Recently, I read this fabulous article that memories are actually passed down memories, right? So all of these things I began to understand and work with in a new way. So the documentary is about that process of healing, but then it's also what happens when you are healed and your heart really opens, then going into the world and creating change that you want to see, helping others and service, working to build things that are of benefit to other beings. So this particular documentary was really focused on this incredible group of people. One was like a Rhodes Scholar from Oxford. Another was a minister. They were so incredible. I was like, I've got to film you all. And they were so open to it. They're like, okay. So that's the documentary. It's just like this awakening of this healing energy. And now I'm following us on this next project and documenting what we're doing in our lives just to be an inspiration to others. I just want to pause there for a moment because that's intense. Everything since 2007. I mean, we're in 2023. Yeah, the retreat was just like at the end of 2021. And we're still working on the film. And I'm excited about it. And that's just one of my projects that means a great deal to me. So thank you for giving me a chance to talk about it. Not everyone gets keep that. Going. And, and yeah, yeah, let's keep going. If I ask any questions that are personal or you don't want to answer, I want to give complete permission for you to say, Amy, back off. I've never done ayahuasca. I have many friends who have, and they've told me stories. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning. Like they see their stories that they are suffering from kind of fall away. Yes. They see a truth that they had never seen before and they see their role in their own suffering. Is that what happens to you or is it something totally different that's been healing for you? I think that definitely is what happens. You start to see that you're making up so much. You start to understand that thought vibration affects your body. And that our belief systems actually can make us ill. We start to see how the suffering arises and we attach to it. And then we tell it over and over and over and over and over again. Sometimes people go on for years living in these stories of suffering or really negative belief systems, debilitating belief systems. And when you work with plant medicine, I think that's the thing that people find the most 
inspired about it. And, you know, there's a whole movement right now, psychedelic therapy, because people have gone as far as they can, maybe with a therapist or they've worked on the problem on the mental level, but they can't seem to break through that habit. They know what they should do. They've tried it, but there's still some deeper core fixation. And I think what's so powerful about plant medicine is it can go down into those core levels. And then when we lessen our attachment and we see, oh my God, I'm making this up. Like I'm creating my suffering. I can turn the channel. I can turn the TV off even for periods of time. I can go outside. And we start to really practice a kind of liberation and it's exciting and it's helpful. People start to feel happier in their lives. Hey, did you know that Optimal State has a special course to help you learn Yoga Nidra? The first course is free. It's called 12 Days of Yoga Nidra, and you can find it at www.optimalstateyoganidra.com. And if you like that and you want to add becoming a Yoga Nidra facilitator to your skill set, no matter what job you do, which might be being a mom or a nurse or a therapist or a yoga teacher, we would love to train you in our six-month Yoga Nidra facilitators course. Again, www.optimalstateyoganidra.com. We hope you'll join us. I'm a little torn here because on one hand, what you've described sounds so amazing. And I feel like everyone should have this opportunity to see the suffering we're causing ourselves. And on the other hand, especially for the BIPOC community, there is real suffering and Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you talk about that balance? Yeah. For communities of color, one of the reasons people often start to want to be inspired to work with the medicine is to heal from racialized trauma, Mm -hmm. because that's so much in our family trees, especially if you're someone from the African diaspora and you know you've done work and you know you're descendant of slavery and you know that you carry this kind of energy and it's so unconscious this is not something you can articulate all the time this fear this terror this negativity this self-hatred this sense of you know inferiority and most people are like hey I'm ready to let this go and see myself as I truly am And this is what we're all looking for. You know, we're all looking to see ourselves as we truly are. So there's this relative level where we have these bodies and we're in this system. In Buddhism, they call it conventional reality, where it's like, my name is Spring and you're Amy. And we use all these pronouns and we have identities and we get hurt. And then there's the ultimate level where we're light and we're stars And we're a source energy. And both of these truths have to be understood and respected. So we heal on one level and then we're healing on the other level. If you don't recognize that two of these truths are happening simultaneously, it's almost like you can't liberate. If you believe only in that you're stars and you don't understand on the relative level, we can create great harm and there has been harm and that has to be tended to. We're not connecting with our heart. But if we only believe in the trauma, we're also not connecting to who we truly are. So we find this road with plant medicine, letting go of all of the traumas and the pain. And that opens up to us seeing our true nature with more and more clarity. 
Hmm. And do you believe that when you do that work for yourself, that it actually has an impact going backwards all through your ancestral line? I do believe that. I believe that because everything is interconnected, right? Everything is everything. People ask me, do you really believe in astrology? Because I, I like to play with astrology. I say, of course, we're made of the stars. How can I not believe in it? When the stars move, we move. The planet's moving right now. Everything is interconnected. But particularly with the ancestral world and the world of spirit, and the unseen world, yes, because Everything that we are is as a product of our ancestors. I am here because of my great, 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 great grandmother, right? There's a connection. Now, that doesn't mean we're ruled by that. It just means there's a connection to it. The pain that we carry, the hurt that we, we carry, some of the belief systems and ideologies that we carry forward, they are the thoughts of our mother, the thoughts of our grandmother, you know, so... It's just about being aware of that and understanding that we are connected. And then it's taking the best of it and kind of reclaiming our power, our lineage, our traditions and understanding them on a deeper level. And does that mean that there's in your mind, I'm sure many people have different theories, but does that mean there's a subtle realm where your grandmother and your mother still exist that you're connecting to, or is that not even need to be described? Well, I think that that gets into, it's hard to fully articulate. I can say my opinion about that, but the unseen world, you know, there's a lot of people, they don't have a body anymore. Like let's use the example of Paramahasa Yogananda. I meet a lot of his students that are like, Paramahasa Yogananda is here today. He was at my altar. They feel the spirit of their teacher. This is a lot. Like people feel the spirit of Jesus. They feel the spirit of Maharashi. They feel the spirit of Mother Mary. If you're Hindu, you might feel the spirit of Ganesh, right? All of these, this is just, we live in a multi-dimensional universe and we're in a body, but just because we're in a body and someone else isn't, it just means we have a harder time opening to that. But there's a lot of beings in the unseen world, in the spirit world. And I think the veils of these levels are very thin right now. That's why I think people are so interested in their ancestors in a way they never have. I think also with DNA testing, I don't know about you, but during the 2020 pandemic, I don't know anyone who didn't get a DNA test, go through their whole family tree. <laughs> I love TikTok and I'm hearing all these people that are finding new relatives, finding family secrets. Like it's amazing to be alive in this time where we can uncover that with a 23andMe. Exactly. And I think that's connected to the ancestor world being like, hi, we are here. You know, people are finding old photos and messages and letters. And also exactly what you're saying is these deep family secrets, often one of the downsides. And I had this happen. One of my brothers, my half brothers, we found out that who we thought my father is not his biological father. So I've heard so many stories of that. But people knowing these things in their heart, right? Feeling something isn't quite right, right? I don't feel connected. So all of these things are us 
looking and making discoveries and trying to heal what our ancestors have done. Maybe that we're wrong. Maybe, you know, we can set things right in our own family tree. We can forgive where maybe others couldn't. We can let go. We can make peace. We can pay the debts, clear the slates, which is a deep part of our role on the spiritual path. It's like we come to bring peace to the family tree. And I don't know about you. I listened to a beautiful interview with Carrie Washington around this topic also. And she said something to this effect. It just feels like things get righted into place. Like, okay, that suffering ended with me. I'm moving forward in a new way. And that just feels right. Some people feel that's unfair. Like, why did I have to pay all the debts? But other people feel like... Yeah, let's do this. Let's settle up and move on. Yeah, let's settle up because what happens is when we do that settling up, guess what? We feel at peace. (laughs) You can be mad that you're just going to stay angry, right? It's like, well, we're here. You know, something arrives on my plate. It's my work to do. We are, I think of this new generation as they're doing this work on behalf of even other generations. They're carrying the work forward of previous generations. And so this is what we all do, each generation in our own family tree. And then ultimately, there's only one family tree. We start to realize that with plant medicine. It's only one tree here, really. That's a deep one. (laughs) That takes people a little more time. But therefore, we're doing everything on behalf of the you know, the one heart. So that is the definition of a bodhisattva, yes? Yes. A real definition would be someone who dedicates their life to healing and awakening, right? To their highest potential to be a a light for others. I'm going to do everything I can to wake up, to become a fully awake being so that I may carry this light and be of service to all beings on a greater and greater level. Hmm. It's their motivation that it's the all beings is what gets them up in the morning to practice. I feel on some level, Gen Z and the Alpha Badgers have kind of taken on this task. They understand that there's no way forward to do things the way we've been doing them. So you might as well get on board with, they don't call it a bodhisattva, but you see so many of these young people taking on this attitude because there's really no other way forward for humanity. And I think they feel like, yeah, we have to pay the debt, but we get to pay the debt. It's a hard road for this new generation. You know, I absolutely think that there's this deep compassion in them. They want fairness. They want inclusivity. They want equality. They want to have the natural world be protected. And man, they're inheriting so much so much dysfunction in a world at the brink of madness, wars, you know, it's a lot for anybody to take birth right now. You must have signed on to something. If you're a Gen X, Z, Generation Z, and you're out on the front lines at 18, you signed on somewhere a long time ago to do this. But I just have so much hope in this future generation. You know, it feels like the older generation is just kind of destroying <laughs> And I think I look at all these young people fighting. Yeah, that hurts your heart a little bit. Yeah, it's a difficult situation for everybody to witness. Mm -hmm. 
So along the lines, switching directions here a little bit along the lines with connecting with our ancestors and healing the ancestral lines, this book that you've written called The Spirit of Harriet Tubman, which came out in 2023. Tell us about this book, because I think this fits right into the conversation. Well, you know, it does, because I learned a lot through writing this book. And this book, my relationship with Harriet Tubman, you know, I'd always thought of Harriet Tubman throughout my life as like, wow, what an incredible ancestor. I mean, who doesn't hear the story of Harriet Tubman? I mean, Wow. You know, but I hadn't had like an over fixation or anything. It was when 2020 May, when George Floyd was murdered and there was all these murders. That's when I feel like the summer of May of 2020, I always describe it as like there was a crack in the foundation of consciousness. California, we were having fires. We were, I mean, it was biblical. I mean, what was going on, right? Pandemic and society election. And man, it was just such a difficult time. And then Harriet showed up. She started showing up in my vision, showing up in dreams, showing up every moment. And I got so interested in her life. And that led to me doing a Zoom class. Well, that was what everybody was doing at that time. I thought, are other people having visions of Harriet? <laughs> Maybe I'll put up a class. And then hundreds of people, a class went viral and I had hundreds of people online on Sundays. Wow. And then it started off as a five-week class. I turned into five months, actually, through the elections and all that. Yeah. And it's been a journey. And my relationship with Harriet Tubman I guess if you were going to summarize it, it's that Harriet's still alive and she has a mission. She's in consciousness and she operates on the inner underground railroad, the light underground railroad, one could say, the spirit underground. So she's still in consciousness. And this book was basically, she just wanted me to write about her heart and a message to this new generation, a message that she's still a protector, because I think Harriet Tubman, that's one of her biggest energies. She was a protector, a protector spirit. Mm -hmm. And so she's still guiding. She's still conducting. <laughs> so anyone can connect to her. And the thing I want people to really understand is that, yes, Harriet Tubman was African-American, but Harriet Tubman is a primordial ancestor. You can be from anywhere in the world, any background. That's your ancestor, too. So I always like to articulate that because that was a big piece. Like I'm everyone's ancestor. They need me. I will be there. Almost like a, a saint from Catholicism. Like the different. Yeah, I actually do see Harriet Tubman. I write about Harriet as a bodhisattva. I tell the stories that Harriet and I talked about when we were writing together. And I say writing together because Harriet would. I would have sessions, Harriet would talk, I would write. Yeah, this isn't the first time Harriet was called Moses. She was, you know, said I've been lifetimes as Moses, the liberator. So it's been a journey and I'm still very much on it with Harriet, you know? <laughs> I think this is so interesting. I'm actually in South Minneapolis, about 10 blocks from where George Floyd was murdered. Because my parents... Wow. First of all, that is just such a... You know, I arrived yesterday and here I am and bring this up. So that's a kind of a sign. And I really want to understand when a primordial ancestor like Harriet Tubman 
comes, imbues herself in your consciousness, do you think that she is really there speaking to you? Or do you think her values and beliefs and the way she was are something that your mind is tapping into her? Because those Mm -hmm. things are do you think both? I'm very interested in this. You know, you could say Jesus. Does Jesus talk to you or bi-directional? What do you think? Well, yeah. And I write about all of this a lot in the book. The first beginning of the book was like, oh my God, what is happening here? What is going on? Because from my years of shamanic practice and first all my years in meditation retreats, because I spent years in deep meditation and I would have a lot, a lot of experiences that were, I guess, non-ordinary experiences just through meditation. And then when I started going to the jungle, I lived in the jungle for a year with a Shipibo, in a Shipibo community with some Shipibo maestras, some women healers at a hospital, like a plant medicine hospital. And it was during that time that I also noticed that I had this gift of being able to enter into very similar things that they were seeing. You know, I think of these people who are healers that live in the jungle, they kind of live in a non-ordinary state, right? <laughs> they're like medicine people, they're tribal people. They don't live in this North American construct reality that we have, you know, they're living somewhere else. And that's why I got into leading the work and becoming a maestra because I was actually really good at shamanism. And shamanism is basically just this ability to traverse worlds in a way, I guess, and understand the cosmology a little bit, right? You're going to go here and you're going to get this and you're going to do that and you're going to get that. So it's this kind of, I started to really understand that world. And I had a lot of affirmation when I was living with them that I had this ability to kind of go between worlds and interact. So I was interacting there with a lot of spirits which is not uncommon when you're working on that level that I was on really seriously. And so I think that just crossed over with Harriet. I had never had an ancestor come when I was not in a sacred ceremonial space, right? Somehow Harriet, our latitude and longitude, we were able to connect. realities. Yeah. Yeah. With the veils parted, you know, and it was like, <laughs> all I can do is say that this, Felt like Harriet Tubman. I wrote about in the first two chapters where she made like an in-person meeting one night and I was scared and questioning my sanity. And then I started to realize that this is just normal. We are all spirits. We are all interacting with one another. And I think I just have this opening and I think many people do. And through that, And I can't know what other people's experiences are. I'm very open to knowing about other people now. I didn't have this openness before, but now it seems like I get a lot of channeled books now and law of attraction, maybe. But I'm way more open to this idea because of what happened to me. And did it first happen when you were using plant medicine or in meditation or both? Well, the real experience started happening when I had Harry Tubman started just coming into my mind day after day during this period it was like May and June. And then when I was doing the class about her, I was in this Sunday Zoom class. I ordered all these books about Harry Tubman and started researching. So then the presence was even stronger. And it was really one night where I was up reading for hours. Harry kind of made an in-person, like kind of 
showed up almost like an angel or something. Yeah. And I I write in detail about that because all my circuits were blown. It took me a long time to actually recover from that energetically. And that was because she wanted me to write this book and I had been questioning it. My publisher had asked me to write it. And I was like, you're crazy. I can't write a book about Harriet Tubman. I'm not a scholar. What are you thinking? So I had discounted the idea. And then Harriet showed up to be like, no, this is your task. This is something. And that's something that ancestors will do is that when we're working with the unseen world, especially in your ancestor lineage, Oftentimes, they'll ask you to complete something that they themselves were not able to complete. Harriet Tubman always said, and I write this throughout the book, my mission was not done. I abolished slavery, helped get slavery abolished, but not the mindset. And the mindset is like leaving a landmine in the ground. Unless you get that out, it's going to detonate. So she did the legal parts and also Martin Luther King's his work was not done. You know, there's a lot of people who left here who left work undone. So now this generation, me included, are trying to just fulfill the wishes of these ancestors, which is about freedom and love and truth and equality, you know, and it speaks to what's happening in the end of hatred right now, the Middle East, all hatred, right, being fueled. So I can't know everything All I could do is just trust my own channel, which was hard. I had a lot of doubts about it and I was able to overcome the doubts. So then I have to ask, how did you overcome? Because like, honestly, if something like this happened to me, I would wonder, number one, am I losing my mind? Number two, who am I to do something so important? Number three, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, I I could just come up with lists and lists of reasons not to. I mean, I had those lists too, but the connection with Harriet, I think that's the thing. The energy was so strong. Like one of the things about Harriet Tubman that I felt when I was around her energy, I could climb Mount Everest. I think this is why she was such a powerful conductor, right? That's why she was a general and a commander and was leading her own brigade of troops. Because if Harriet here, you're like, I can do this. I'm going. It was part of my own journey. I was on the Underground Railroad with Harriet. She was a conductor. She was getting me through this journey of this material and that book. So these messages. Another thing that really affected me was that when people read it, they were so in tears and moved that they were like, this is definitely a spirit transmission. And so that also gave me like, is this okay? What do you think? This is what's coming in people's reaction also was deeply touching. So it is a hard to believe story. It's still something I'll, I'll be processing my whole life is this connection. And were you scared or did the spirit of her give you courage? It was both. The bigger me had courage. The true spirit of my heart had great courage. The little me, the mind, the small me had all kinds of fear and anxiety as it was about to be published. I was like, people are going to hate me and they're going to laugh. And so I just trusted. I had faith in Harriet. I have faith in what I was being shown, what I was seeing, what I was feeling. I trusted my heart. It felt like an important message. It feels that the people who find this book right now are so deeply moved. 
So I just trust that too. They feel inspired and they develop a connection to Harriet Tubman, which is exactly what Harriet wanted people to connect to her energy. She's a little bit like a deity. I feel like if I was to, in the book cover I had designed, she looks like a deity on the cover. And I think she's a deity for this wound, the racial wound. You know how you call on different deities for different things, you know, one, you might say wisdom, one, I need to get rid of obstacles. Okay. Well, you know, but I think Harriet's like, who do you call on who understands the pain of racism and all the hurt and the historical wound that we're all holding, whether we're conscious of it or not. You're an American, you're holding it. And you're in the world, you're holding it. But this is a particular kind of suffering. And I feel like Harriet's kind of like a bomb. And did you have this fearless heart before her also? Is this part of your personality or did it develop through plant medicine? And like, how did you get this? So many people want what you have, even though they don't want the responsibility that ultimately goes with it. (laughs) Right. Well, I think it's just, I don't know. I think through years of practice, like I did years of meditation retreats and practice, and I'm still practicing all the time. It's becoming. And I think each challenge, yes, after writing that book and going through that whole experience during 2020, my whole experience was writing about Harry Tubman through that two-year cycle. I grew tremendously and I learned historically. And that was hard. It was like I had to deal with my own trauma, my own racialized trauma. And I think every time we go to the depths of our own pain and we're able to meet it with compassion, we become more and more strong. We become more of who we are. We become less afraid. And it's not like fear goes away. It's just that we don't respond to it the way we used to. We don't let it get in our way. And I'll have to keep working that edge because in the end of the day, I'm a practitioner Every step, it's like trying to practice. Can I be present for this? Can I be in my heart? This is not a one and done. This is a long journey of walking and toward liberation. And so I'm learning all the time from every experience. I think what you shared with us today is going to encourage us and nourish us to keep walking step by step, day by day, moment by moment. I'm really, really grateful that you came today to share this story of heroism, both for you and her. <laughs> Is there anything coming up? I'm going to pull your website up online here for those watching the YouTube version. Your website is www.spring, as in the season of the year, washam, W-A-S-H-A-M dot com. How can people be in touch with you? How can they? Yeah. And if you scroll over to events, you'll see on the up there. If people are interested in my plant medicine retreats, I have some coming up two big retreats, one in January and one in March. And those are visionary retreats in Costa Rica. And I would love to have people join me. You can find that by just going to my website, Googling me. But these are 14-day retreats for everybody in the Osa Peninsula. So if somebody was interested in plant medicine after what they heard, yeah, you can join me. It's meditation, it's yoga, it's plant medicine. And Harry Tubman's there with us. She's the ultimate conductor. (laughs) 
do have to be BIPOC or can no, no. Some of these are BIPOC specific, but my visionary Costa Rica retreats are not the ones in Costa Rica are just for visionaries all over the world. So I have groups all over the world. So you can read which ones are for which, and you'll see I have two coming up January and then one in March, April. So yeah, you can join me if you feel inspired. And also on your website is a get in touch with me page. If someone would like to be in touch. And yes, yes. They can meet with me. They can email me or, you know, also have my book on audible, both of my books on audible. So yeah, I ordered it off Amazon. So the book that you wrote previous is called a fierce heart. And then this latest one is called the spirit of Harriet Tubman. Awakening from the underground. Yes. I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much too. I'm so happy that we got a chance to talk today. It's very inspiring. Thank you so much. A big thank you to Spring Washam for bringing forward these important topics. I don't think we've had anyone on the podcast talk about plant medicine. I hope you will consider going on a retreat with Spring. I plan to do plant medicine at some point. I don't know when, but I'm going to do it. I love this idea that she brought forth about our unconscious beliefs, self-hatred, our fear, our feelings of inferiority, our attachments, our stories, our negative thinking. I love the idea of becoming the witness through meditation, through plant medicine, however you want to do it, becoming the witness that's watching us have those things and suffering as a result. I love the idea of becoming the observer who realizes that none of that is true and we don't have to hold on to it anymore. So this is good stuff. I hope you'll get her book and I look forward to sharing more of these ideas with you in the future. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to the Yoga Therapy Hour and Beyond. We love to give you the gift of this podcast each week, and we'd love your support. You can support us through becoming a Patreon member. You can download the Optimal State mobile app and join as a member of the mobile app community. You can give us a great rating on the platform that you listen to this podcast on and many other things that would help us. Contact us if you'd like to be of support. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to our continued relationship with you. A special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria and Peter Morley who wrote and produced the music for this show who lives in Australia find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz thank you for listening we'll see you next time